Welcome to I'd Rather Stay In with your hosts, Megan Myers and Steffi Predmore. This week, we're chatting with our guest, Allison Grigsby Sweatman, about local elections. Stay tuned. Do you love listening to I'd Rather Stay In and want to support the podcast? Well, now you can. Visit our website or the link in our Instagram profile and click Buy Me a Coffee or visit buymeacoffee.com slash podcast. For the price of a cup of coffee, you can help us cover the costs of creating this podcast. There are no monthly memberships, and you can support us at whatever level you like, whenever you like. Whether you buy us one coffee, many coffees, or simply continue listening as always, we're so grateful for your support. Hello, Megan. Hello. Uh, you, my friend, flew for the first time in like two years this past week. You you took a you took a trip and you went on an airplane. Uh, how was that? Uh, it was it was okay. Um, was I didn't weird? like that. It was it was a little weird. It was mostly just annoying because of like standard airline things where like the flight was delayed and then we had to like. Yeah you know, trek through the airport to make our connection. So, like, that is normal. Right. Um, normal and things that we do not miss. Yeah. I didn't mind wearing my mask on the plane at the airport or whatever. It was – that was fine. And there was no uh, kerfuffles on our flights. No crazy people, like, losing their minds about it. Um, there was definitely – fewer people coughing and sneezing than there has ever been on a flight that I've been on. <laughs> I mean, that is that is a lovely thing. Uh, I think I sneezed a couple of times on the way back because I caught my lovely pollen friends oh, yes. when I was in Austin and I was like, "Oh no, it's just it's a pollen, I swear to god." <laughs> I always have that cuz like I sneeze when I get in the sunlight. And so when I, like, get out of the car, like, go into a store and I start sneezing, I want to just very loudly be like, it's not the Ronas, I swear. (laughs) Yes. So I understand that feeling. Yeah. It was, it was basically fine. So. Well, that's good. That's good. Yeah. I was anxious for you, about you being on a plane. So that's, I'm glad you, (laughs) (laughs) you know, anyway. So when we talked about voting in November 2020, like so long ago now, we so mentioned long ago. <laughs> it was forever. We mentioned how important it was to vote in your local and state elections, not just in national elections. So to talk to us more about why state elections matter and the impact that state legislation can have on a national scale, we've invited back our friend Allison Grigsby Sweatman. Welcome back, Allison. Hello. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. Glad to have you back. We've had a number of returning guests on the pod, but you mm-hmm. are the first one to come back so soon after their first yeah. episode. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that has to do with some pretty big life changes you've had recently. Can you tell us what you've been up to? Sure thing. It It is a huge life change. I'm actually running for state Senate here in my home state of Arkansas, and I'm really excited to talk about it. I um, have loved your podcast for a long time, and that episode about voting that you mentioned was fantastic. And so, yeah, I'm excited to talk about all that today. So, uh, you know, obviously, you know, when we were talking to you last last time, you know, we talked about how 
you're a social worker and you're in law school and you're mm -hmm. a mom of two and a wife, what made you uh, decide to <laughs> add uh, Arkansas State Senate candidate <laughs> to your resume? Like what made you feel like you could make an impact on your community through this race? Thank you so much for that question. Um, I recently realized that I'm having to come to terms with the fact that if I were a rational person, I would not have taken this on. Um, <laughs> Boy, but I, I also, <laughs> but I also think that it it's time for people to be bold about the need for change um, on on every in every level of government. It's time for um, people to take on things like this that look irrational and that are going to take a lot of help from a lot of people um, in their community and beyond um, in order to pull it off and make the change that we all need to see. Um, like you said, I'm a social worker. I'm a mom to two kids who have disabilities. And so um, firsthand, I saw what it's like to have to advocate within systems to get them what they need. And um, sometimes fighting within systems. I, I don't like to use that word. I don't use it lightly, but um, I, I sometimes I think the word fight is thrown around a lot. You know what I mean? Like we are fighting yeah. for this and that. But there were times when it really was that stressful and it was it was that much for our family. Um, so on the most micro level, on the most personal level, I've contended with that. And eventually my personal advocacy became something that people would share among one another. And I became kind of the parent to reach out to, um, to help other parents navigate those same systems, healthcare and education. And um, that was an honor. Um, it's the reason that I went back to school for social work. Um, and then sort of in school and then also just in that practice of, of working alongside parents in those systems, I realized that if anything is going to change in a meaningful long-term way, it has to be systemic change. That one-on-one -on -one work that I was doing gave me face-to-face, knee-to-knee interaction with parents mm -hmm. who were just so broken and exhausted and um, needed needed this change. And so, um, I'm I'm in it to to change specifically um, the future for our children and to to meet their needs right now. Uh, not just children with disabilities. Um, but but all children. Um, and I've been working in um, mental health for um, a little bit now and and also seeing the need for change there again, not just for children, but for adults and everyone in our community. I think that's another thing that has really been brought forward in the last two years is the need for mental health to be more accessible to um, more people. And so those are just a couple of the issues that I guess you could say I couldn't ignore anymore. And um, and then on the most basic level for democracy to function, people need a choice on the ballot. They need a choice. They need to see um, multiple people who they can look up, they can witness sort of putting themselves out there, talking about the issues, and they need to be able to make that choice from the, the bottom of the ballot to the most local election all the way up to, um, you know, whenever, like every four years when we have a presidential election, like every single line of the ballot, there should be a choice. And um, I noticed that there wasn't one in my Senate district and um, decided to take the plunge this cycle. It's something I thought I would do eventually, definitely didn't think I would do this year, but here we are. So, 
And yet, apparently, we're not rational. No, I, I, <laughs> no. I, I felt that. Logical. I feel that when you say that, mm-hmm. though. <laughs> yeah, no, logical. But I mean, I, I think it's so important, too, because like we can be logical about approaching these issues. But when I say it's not rational, I mean, it can be difficult to be to, to have these feelings, like especially as a woman, um, these feelings of like, oh, no, I can't change anything. Like, I have to focus right. just on the most micro issues on the people right in front of me. But the truth is, I can do that. And I can have this big, irrational, movement-driven focus for yeah. systemic change so that these one-on-one conversations, these micro-level issues, won't be quite so difficult. And um, and the reason it's irrational is because there's very little legislative will sometimes for these things that I'm talking about. But I know, because I've met with the people in my community and beyond, I know these are the things that are affecting them directly. And the people who are making the laws are not paying attention. Well, some of the biggest changes started from things that sounded so irrational. Absolutely. And then they grew, yeah. so. Mm-hmm. In case anyone listening is not sure of the difference, can you walk us through the differences of being a senator at the state level and versus the national level? Absolutely. I First of all, I want to say that it is not a shameful thing <laughs> to not understand this <laughs> because it's it's hard because state and federal like we use the same language and so mm-hmm. it can be so confusing you know if you're not kind of all up in it so um basically the state level for the most part mirrors the federal level so um there are three branches of government in the federal government um we've got the executive branch which is the president and her cabinet and um all of the agencies in that branch and then we've got the legislative branch which is where the senate and the house of representatives um preside and it's where laws are made and passed and um and then you've got the judicial branch branch which is our court system and so essentially on a state level for the most part it looks very similar um in the state of arkansas we have a state legislature that that's made up of uh, the House of Representatives and the Senate. And then, of course, we have a, the governor, which is the executive branch, and then our own state court system. And so I'm running to be in the state Senate. And there are 35 senators in our state, and they are each representing about between 80 and 90,000 people in our state. Um, and most most states function similarly as far as how they elect representatives in the legislature to go make those state level laws. Awesome. So, mm-hmm. you know, <clears throat> again, like continuing to kind of talk about, you know, the state level, one of the things we really want to dig into you into with you here is why state legislation matters. Like, I feel like when people talk about or think about laws and lawmaking, a lot of times we think about it on a national scale, mm-hmm. but statewide laws are actually really important and can extend beyond just that individual state. So, you know, can you kind of talk us through why that is and how that happens? Absolutely. So it, it makes sense, right, that the federal lawmaking would get the most headlines <laughs> and get the most attention. Um, it's 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 like you can see these federal lawmakers um, pushing these issues that end up in more headlines than you will see on the state level. And it's where most people are tuning in for their news, et cetera. But on the state and local levels, that's where the average citizen has a greater opportunity to be heard. And as far as what happens on the state level extending beyond the state, we see that all the time. So we see trends happening 
um, in state legislation across the country and um, others watch to see how it's received. Like one state will start with it. Other states will pay attention. Uh, they know that their voters are paying attention and then they bring it to their own lawmakers and they bring it to their own legislatures to try to enact similar legislation in their own states. So trends like this can gain national attention and end up being addressed on a federal level too. And by that time, a lot of times people don't even understand that it actually started at a state level. So one example is the state level voter suppression legislation that we've seen all across the country. Uh, that put federal voting rights protection on the agenda. People wouldn't have started pushing for federal voting rights lawmaking if not for these state level laws being passed that were being interpreted as incredibly voter suppressive. And so that's kind of one, just one way that state level legislation and federal legislation play on one another and affect one another. And it happens with, you know, what I consider to be, uh, again, suppressive, oppressive lawmaking. And sometimes it happens with, with good laws as well. Well, I just wanted to circle back real quick to, mm -hmm. you know, what you were saying of, you know, that on the, on the state level and state and local levels are where, you know, average citizens are more mm -hmm. likely to be heard. And because I mm -hmm. think that uh, what you, I hear a lot, uh, especially when we're looking at national elections, especially the presidential elections, mm -hmm. um, is that people are like, my vote doesn't even make a difference. Yeah. Like, why, I, why, why bother go and vote? It doesn't even make a mm -hmm. difference. But mm -hmm like they forget about that you in those on those same ballots you're able to vote on a local level you're able to vote on a state level and like those really do like mm -hmm. even if you feel like on a national level your vote doesn't make mm -hmm. a difference mm -hmm. it really does on a smaller right. scale that then can compound into that large scale change so i, I just think absolutely that's a good reminder. and and also some of these local level positions are not nearly as sensationally political in the sort of culture war way that we find ourselves right now, especially with federal level politics. But but some of the more local ones, they're they're nonpartisan, the, the, the folks mm -hmm. that, that we're voting for. And so you can really ask yourself, what is this person about without having to get into what is really difficult for a lot of people right now, which is what politics has become. Right. Mm -hmm. Like politics has become so exhausting, I think, for the average American, definitely for for the folks that I'm talking to. Like they're just sick of the political grandstanding. They're sick of the culture wars making its way into lawmaking. And they want to see what people are about, how it's going to change their life specifically without these sort of one liners that are looking to make its way onto Fox News. Like it's so mm -hmm. <laughs> it's so hard to watch that be what it's become. But on a local level, that's far less likely to be the case. And then let me tell you something else. Not only does your vote matter on a local level, on a state level, let me tell you about my, like where I live. The person who represents me in our state legislature in the house won by 16 votes last cycle. Holy cow. Wow. 16 votes. Yeah. And um, on the other side of, of the river, I live in North Little Rock. Um, in Little Rock, on the other side of the river, the person who won that um, election, I want to say it was about, it was, it was similarly close. It was like in, in the thirties <laughs> or something. Um, and then more recently we had a special election. A woman named Lisa Parks was challenging, um, an incumbent and she lost by 32 votes, 32 votes. 
more recently and fewer people also vote in those special elections. And so, so I know that it can seem exhausting and it can seem like the only way to mentally survive the way that politics have become is to disengage but the local level and even often the state level is where you can be engaged without as much of the exhausting way that politics is affecting us like engaging on the local and very often the state level is where you're going to find a lot of the folks who genuinely want to see change that's going to affect you directly. They genuinely want to sit face to face with you and hear how the systems that they are making laws for are affecting your life directly. And that's, that's few, that's few and far between, I think with the way that um, national politics has become over the last six years or so. Yeah, I think it's hard too, especially to get people to go out to these local elections because mm. the dates are so different from mm-hmm. place to place. You're used to the big, you know, the big presidential election, mm-hmm. the, even the midterms, like it's always the same mm-hmm. day every single time. And, yep. you know, sometimes like your election might be in April, it might be in May. Sometimes there's like a special one in July. Mm-hmm. It's really confusing. And if you aren't, purposefully keeping up with what's mm-hmm. going on in your local government, you're not going to know even when voting day is. Mm-hmm. It's true. We, it has, sneaks up on you. It mm-hmm. does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I can't be the only person who like, before I became engaged, <laughs> engaged enough to run for office, but engaged enough to um, like really be paying attention about six years ago. I, I found myself in the ballot box saying who's that Mm -hmm. (laughs) and and i i i mean i didn't want to just vote on party lines alone even as as like even before i became engaged um politically like i am now and so i never wanted to find myself in that place but i think that and it and it can be a lot of hard work for the average person who's just trying to get by and just trying to affect change in their community and just trying to vote for their own interests and their own values, you know, um, it, it, it should be easier than it is to figure out what someone's about. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And so I, I would also say that there are some organizations, uh, there's, there's one in our state, but there are some organizations, um, in various states that are really trying to meet that need as well. Folks who, you know, identify as independent or who are, are really, like I said, just trying to figure out what these people are about without hearing, um, the, the mm, without hearing what they're hearing from everyone else they really want to see what people are talking about and and the issues that they're standing for um there are some organizations that are trying to meet that need make it easier for people to be informed voters whenever they show up to cast their vote yeah So, you know, we've seen recently in the news, like laws attacking LGBTQ plus youth in states like Texas mm-hmm. and Tennessee and Florida. And, and those mm-hmm. really come to mind as negative examples of how mm-hmm. state laws can have a snowballing effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you, can you share some examples of positive state legislation that's made it to a national level? Absolutely. Um, and again, uh, those, those laws are not only sensationalized, they're incredibly upsetting. Um, and harmful. And so I, I am, I am glad that 
we are talking about these issues and I hate that we're having to talk about it because of the harm that's being done on a systemic level. Um, the ones that are not as sensationalized or upsetting are kind of what come to mind. Um, and some of them came from the pandemic. So um, the COVID-19 pandemic brought, I think a lot of issues to the forefront that are either trending or on the brink of trending. They're just not talked about as much. Um, it might seem small, but telehealth coverage for folks who need it is a huge state level sweep mm. since COVID began. Like we saw it initially folks were, or states were um, cutting out a lot of red tape so that people could access their healthcare and mental health care needs uh, via telehealth. And a lot of them have expanded that and extended it and kept it. And I think over 30 states have kept it, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and then it's actually a disability access issue, you know, for a lot of people, yeah. uh, they can now see their providers from their homes. I know that for us, we, my daughter, uh, Rosie sees um, like something like 10 different specialists at our local children's hospital. And occasionally we would have appointments where we would be like, you know, getting up to the hospital with her wheelchair and her feeding pump and like everything that we have to bring um, was so stressful to spend a whole day there. And now we're able to see some of those doctors from home, those who can, you know, examine her and just talk with us via telehealth. That has been huge yeah. for our family. Um, and I know it's been huge for a lot of other families. Um, and then I, as a, as a therapist, I see a few clients via telehealth who, who genuinely need it. They wouldn't be able to access mental health services without it. And so that's something I'm really glad to see has, has you know, kept in like state by state. Um, and something I see happening in the future also as a result of COVID is broadband expansion. Um, as, as many as 16 million students were without internet to attend school remotely whenever the pandemic began. And I mean, that, that is mind blowing when, when you it think about the broadband gap. Number. Yeah, yeah, it's like 16 million students that I talk a lot about special education and I'm always talking about millions and millions, right, who who don't have access to a free and appropriate education under the the federal law that that mandates that they're provided it. But here we have, it's one resource. This is one thing that, I mean, literally they cannot access their education when and if it goes remote. And so 16 million students weren't able to do that. And I think that made a lot of people realize how important that is, not just for students, but for everyone in order to be connected to society, that's kind of, that's kind of where we're going. In order to participate meaningfully and access what you need to access, uh, broadband expansion is something that I think a lot more people are talking about and that I think we're gonna see soon, um, maybe state by state. Um, that was also part of the infrastructure package um, that was passed by Congress too last year. So uh, those are those are some trends that I see that are that are positive. But again, they're not as sensationalized. They're not as culture worry, you know. And and it's um, it's hard because people aren't talking about them, but they're affecting a lot of people. Um, and I believe they will affect a lot of people for the better whenever they are seen through. But what gets a lot of what what kind of takes up a lot of the oxygen <laughs> in terms of legislative will, like there has to be a will, like these legislators have to have a will, like a reason to move forward on these things. And there's just so many other things that are taking up oxygen um, that are either harmful or really not important <laughs> and really <laughs> right. only benefiting the the politicians who, who want to get their sound bite. So. 
Yeah. So what are some of the platforms you are running on and how do you think making those changes in Arkansas can affect change on a larger level? Absolutely. Well, like I said, when we talked before, um, special education and disability rights is something that has always been very personal to me. Not only are both of my kids um, individuals with disabilities who um, have participated in the special education system and needed um, needed access to health care that we've had to fight for, um, but I work with families a lot like mine to, to help them navigate those systems as well. And so that was kind of the beginning of it for me. Um, as far as seeing the need for systemic change and legislative change. And then I was raised in a small business family. My mom um, owns a restaurant that has been in my family since 1976 here locally. It's actually in my district, which is fun. <laughs> um, and I worked there as a teenager, watched my mom work 60 hour weeks, uh, staying up all night to crunch numbers, to, um, to you know make payroll, keep the lights on. Um, keep costs down and and watching that i noticed on a very personal level the way that small businesses are affecting not just the family that owns it right my family but but those people who became like family like the people who worked at our small business and the regulars who came into our small business and and who supported us and um who we were able to feed like these these are the businesses that are not just a place for the community to gather, but they are the backbone of the local economy. The dollars, like penny for penny, a dollar that goes into a small business stays in that local community and benefits the local economy tremendously more than when we put our dollars into um, bigger business um, around yeah. around our communities. And so um, I'm just, I'm proud to be from a family a woman-owned small business family. And that's that's a big issue to me as well. And then, like I said, mental health access, um, the barriers to accessing mental health in a meaningful way that will actually meet the mental health needs of not just the children that I work with and their parents, but everyone, Th those barriers are many. And it looks different for every community. But here's what I know as a therapist. I know that the biggest indicator of success for a person seeking mental health services to seek to see a therapist, the biggest indicator is therapeutic relationship and rapport with the person who is, is serving them. So basically your relationship with your therapist. And a big thing that I hear people saying is I can't choose who I work with. I, whether it's because of, of a lack of coverage at the place where they want to, where they want to seek services, um, or whether, and then, and then on the other side of it, I know as a mental health provider that the red tape on our side of things keeps us from offering services to everyone who needs it. And so I think that a lot of those issues, um, need to be met systemically with, um, with big change so that, so that people, like I said, can choose who they work with. They can see them for as long as they need to see them in order to feel like they have, a hold on their mental health and a footing with which to go forward <laughs> into the world. Um, we're seeing a lot of people on waiting lists to access mental health services right now. It's, it's the reason that I transitioned from the work I was doing for the past mm -hmm. few years into direct clinical practice is because there are waiting lists that are hundreds of people long. People who were avoiding mental health services because of the stigma 
have had no choice but to seek them over the last two years, and they shouldn't be on waiting lists because of these systemic barriers that I'm talking about. And so those are the main issues that uh, brought me to running running for office. Um, like I said, they're all very personal to me, but I also know because I've sat across from from several of my my constituents and my my friends here in my community, I also know that they're affected by them too. And so I'm excited to um, to bring those issues to the forefront and and hopefully you know serve as senator to change them on a macro level. That's amazing. You know, so if our listeners want to learn more about you and, and your Senate race, where can they do so? How can they support you? What are your biggest needs in the coming months? Yes. So allisonforarkansas.com is where you can find my website and um, a few platform issues are written about there and um, a little bit about my district and kind of my personal story is all there. Um, Allison for Arkansas on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Sometimes it's Allison for AR. <laughs> you can kind of play around with that, but definitely find us on there. And then the biggest need as we get this campaign off the ground is to have a good start with fundraising. Um, we are in the very beginning here about a month ago is when I filed to run for office and I said yes to running one week prior. So we're kind of in the infancy, but we don't have as much time as you would think. Like this is this is a marathon and it's also a sprint. <laughs> um, we're eight months away from election day and um, we have really big plans to get this message out there and anyone can help. Anyone with whom this message is resonating, whether you live in Arkansas or you don't, um, whether you'll be directly affected by, um, by Arkansas politics or not, like we said, state by state, we're all affecting one another. Um, if you want to see the kind of change I'm talking about, I would love your support, um, your monthly support, your one-time donation, anything, anything that you feel makes sense to you. Um, and as always, share with your friends about these issues, folks who will also resonate with it. Send them to my pages to engage about these issues. And let's keep this conversation going, um, not just on our state levels, but on a national level so that they can't be ignored any longer. And of course, we'd be remiss if we did not ask you, when is Election Day? Election Day is November 8th, 2022 here in Arkansas. And so that's when... Um, everybody who lives in my district of North Little Rock, Maumelle, Sherwood, and Jacksonville here in Arkansas um, can cast their vote, and I would be honored to have it. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming back today, Allison. I know that your schedule is so busy with all of the things that are on your plate, so I we are honored that you took some time out of your schedule to come and talk to us. Again, listeners, like, if anything that she has said with you resonates, please go, please go check out her platforms. You know, even if all you have is five or 10 bucks to mm -hmm. support her, like mm -hmm. there's no amount that's too little and you do not have to live in Arkansas. You don't have to live in her district to say like, these are things that I want to support and I want to see happen in other places so that they can happen in my state and on a national mm -hmm. level. So that's my little, that's my little support <laughs> speech for you. So thank you. Uh, yeah. So as you know, we always end talking about joy. So what is bringing you joy this week, friend? I should have had an answer prepared because I was on your podcast like two weeks ago and now I don't have a joy answer prepared. I feel a lot of joy and I just have to be honest and very immediate with this answer. 
I got eight and a half hours of sleep last night because, (laughs) yeah, because I, I finished so much paperwork yesterday that had, had a deadline. And then, um, I could have gotten up early and gotten ahead on some things, but I said no. And so that, that almost nine hours of sleep is what's bringing me joy. If I'm being honest. That Amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's really, it, it's, it's kind of a big deal. I love it. Oh, I'm a little bit jealous. It's amazing. Steffi, what's bringing you joy? Um, I went to a candle making class last night at uh, one of our local breweries. They brought in uh, this local company that does these candle making workshops. I went with a friend and it was really fun. And we got to like pick our like scents and like mix and match and do our own like custom thing. And uh, my candle smells really nice. And now I have a really nice uh, handmade candle to sit on my little like, I have a little uh like tray thing that goes over my clawfoot tub for my you know nice long dragon mm. baths that I take and so now I can light my little candle and I can have my dragon bath it's great so I'm very excited about that so fancy yeah I'm so fancy <laughs> Megan Megan uh what's making you happy this week uh so as we talked about at the top of the podcast I went to Austin this past weekend and my friend and I went to play with baby goats. I'm so jealous. <laughs> it's so fun. Baby goats are amazing. Mm-hmm. They are just like dogs. Yeah. Uh, they love to be petted. They love to sit on your lap. They're very playful. They're very sweet. The mamas <laughs> are also very sweet. Like if you're just standing there, not doing anything, a mama will come up to you and just like shove you until oh. you start petting her. <laughs> They're so sweet. I love it so much. We went out there and uh, had a little picnic of some amazing goat cheese. It's like the creamiest goat cheese that I've ever had in my life. And watched the sunset and it was delightful. Uh, I love going to farms and just like being out. It was so peaceful and it really filled my cup. Uh, I'm so jealous. I love goats so much. Goat mm-hmm. cheese is like my favorite food. And I love baby goats. So mm-hmm. I, I, I told uh, Allison, I texted Megan as she was like at her picnic. And I said, if you do not send me pictures of baby goats, we are no longer friends. <laughs> so, <laughs> They're so cute. They really are like little puppies. Like, yeah. So, um, so loving. Like they, they like to be scratched and cuddled. Yeah. They're so cute. Uh, so much. Well, next week we are going to be back here talking about some of our guilty pleasures. Until then, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and listen to us on your favorite platform. You can also follow us on social media at IRSI Podcast or send us an email at I'd Rather Stay in Podcast at gmail.com. We love to hear from you. Bye.